Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you here today as the light comes up. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, today. We're going to be all over the Bible, quite honestly. We'll be jumping um, all over the place because 1 Corinthians 15 uh, weaves in a story that is uh, incredible to grasp. Um, each year as we get together on, on Easter Sunday to uh, remember the resurrection, uh, the, the process of how to cover all that Christ did, we, we start to realize that it's insufficient, the 52 Sundays that exist in the year to do it. But in one Sunday, how do we, how do we pull it all together? If you're visiting with us today, um, our, our hope is that you know who we stand with and who we stand for and who we worship this morning. Uh, in in spirit and in truth. Uh, and so as we've prayed over this morning uh, and preparing for this Sunday, I found myself in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, and so with, we want you to tie that to the message in the video. We want you to tie it to the scripture that Jana read earlier about the resurrection. And we're going to pull it all together because Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. And he says something pretty remarkable in verses 3, 4, and actually I'll probably read down to verse 5 as we get started this morning. But, but read along with your Bible with me. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen today as well. Paul speaking to the church says this, For I have delivered to you as first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and verse six, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though many have fallen asleep. You know, when I read those first few passages, and I have to, to, to confess, those words have been underlined in my Bible for a long time. I, it, this is one of the earliest um, creeds of the, of the Christian faith. This is one of the earliest statements of these are foundational anchor things that, that make it all hold together. Is that one, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, really came, he really lived, and he really died on the cross. He didn't just pass out. He didn't pull this faker, you know, like your, your four-year-old does when they want you to think they're asleep, but they're not asleep. Jesus didn't do that. He really died just like Scripture said. And that Jesus Christ really rose again, that his Father raised him from the dead so that he now lives and reigns really physically, spiritually, perfectly as our Lord and Savior today. And Paul says on these two things, everything holds together. And so as I started processing that, um, I started thinking about uh, a carabiner. And I, I know carabiners today mostly just belong on backpacks and they never get anything done with them, right? Um, but Christy and I, when we were 15 years old, uh, we went to a place that we'd revisit many times uh, called uh, Noah's Ark, not the real one just in case you're wondering, but up in Colorado. And it's a backpacking, whitewater rafting uh, kind of place. And, and I remember the first time I had ever gone rock climbing and rappelling on a real mountain. Now, there's rock climbing places, like our schools have rock climbing walls now, and I've been to indoor rock climbing. But, but when we were rappelling, and that's that picture of everybody bouncing down the mountain, it's super fun. We love bouncing down the side of the cliff. Let me tell you what is scary as all get out. The first step. 
Because when you get up on top of this cliff and, and you clip in and you look over, there's nothing. And the way that they do it is they, they hold you on this rope and, and you've got it clipped in and you've got something in your hand like this. And they say, okay, just lean backwards. Now, my mama always said, if all of your friends jumped off the top of a building, would you jump off too? That's going through my mind. And I'm thinking, I always told her, yes, I was lying. And so I'm, I'm holding this rope. And what they say is, you just lean back and then start stepping down. And, and before this happens, they show you that there's a carabiner and it's hooked into other carabiners that are in Iraq. And they say, don't worry, we've, we've tied it and it's safe. And I think, I know how to tie a knot and I can't hardly double knot things. And my knots, if you don't watch it enough, they'll, they'll hold for a little bit. But if you put enough on it, it's a bad day. How did your daddy teach you to build knots? Right? Because my knots, they don't hold. They don't, they don't have enough I don't have enough faith in them to hold through. And so I remember before we ever got up there, as they're tying us in, they're showing us how they tie their knots and how their knots don't break and how their knots hold tight. And, and we can trust the work that they've done and, and all of those things. And so last night, I was testing this with Connor, my 17-year-old, and, and I tied a knot similar to what they had. And we were pulling and pulling, and then we put it up in our garage and clipped it together. Let me tell you what, neither of us can, can survive free climbing. We'd be toast. But we put all the weight that we could on this knot. And no matter what we did, that knot held. I mean, we're both pulling on it. We had tug of war with it. I was talking with Omar, and he said, maybe I should rappel down. I said, I don't trust my knot that much. But my whole life depended on that first step, on that knot holding. That the anchors were sure that all the ropes, and there were multiple ropes to one anchor, and they all had, the, had this type of knot in them. That everything was anchored to that. And when I stepped over that mountain, what I was saying is, I trust the knot. I trust that it's going to hold. I trust the rig. Lord, let my you know, trust not be displaced. And do you know what? It's hard for you to believe today, I know. But do you know I never died? <laughs> Out of all the times I went repelling, I always was okay. I could always trust the not. And as I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the scripture, it started to hit me in a real way that, that the not that links all of the claims of Christ, all of my hopes of my faith to the security of eternity is the real coming and the real resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus might not have worn a, a purple sash all the time. He might have worn blue. That's okay. Eternity is not in the balance. Jesus' Lord's Supper may have tasted better than mine. That's okay. Non-eternity. Jesus might have liked hymns more than praise songs. That's okay. My eternity doesn't rest in it. But what our eternity does rest on, everything, is this truth, this knot of Jesus being the Son of God, coming in the flesh, dying on the cross, and raising again to real life. And that's what holds our faith completely together, church. This morning, I want you to know, the Corinthian church that Paul is writing to is young as it gets started. 
And as, as the Corinthian church is kind of birthing out in the midst of things, uh, the, the church is doing what churches want to do when we want to go mainstream, right? When the church wants to go mainstream, we want to be a little easier to accept. Our goal is to make faith easier to swallow. And so we start putting a little, little bit of uh, stuff on the rope. We make the knot a little simpler. We just, we want to teach everybody about Jesus. And we, we pull some of the rope together and we pull some of the stuff. But what we're really doing is we're downplaying Christ. We're, we're trying to turn Jesus in that untrustworthy knot instead of being who he is. And so the, it looks like that's what's going on in the Corinthian church. It, it looks like the church was okay with saying, Jesus was really here. He really was the Messiah. You can trust that God made a way and forgave sins. But then it feels like they were trying to say, but when you die, like, your body's toast and your spirit is resurrected again. And, and then that kind of turned into when Jesus died, he rose again, but his spirit is now with God. And he's alive in this spiritual world that he's got. Because we can start to understand that, you know, well, when someone dies, they go into the ground and, and we're good. But Jesus, our spirit being free, I could never see your spirit to begin with. So who am I to challenge your spirit? And we just start going through this. And so the Corinthian church basically starts downplaying the resurrection to make the gospel more palpable, more easy to get people on the ride, so to speak. And church... What Paul goes into is one of the most incredible dissertations about what happens if the resurrection isn't real that you will ever find inside or outside of Scripture. It's one of these pulling together of if you want to think that a watered-down faith, a faith that believes in Jesus and mixes in a little bit of my perspective, if you think that's okay, Paul's saying that doesn't work. It's either all or nothing. Either we lean into the truth that the Son of God lived and died and rose again in totality, or we don't. There's not a middle ground. And he pulls this together in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look with me in verse 12 through 20, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. As Paul's going through this, already speaking that Jesus really did die, and he really did raise again, and there's lots of witnesses. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, as, uh, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's saying, if you believe that Jesus really rose again physically, then you can't say that we aren't going to rise again physically if we're his. That's his argument. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then there was not even Christ. Even he was not raised. Hmm. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. See, what Paul says here is this church, is that our life, our faith, is linked to that anchor of Christ. That just as we are to live for God in the flesh, Jesus came and he lived as a real person, in that same way that Christ was really raised from the dead, that he really is alive, that he wasn't living for the 33 years that he spent on earth, that he was living for eternity. The same is true for us, that you and I, as we live and we breathe here, we are living for eternity. This is a small section of life as God designed us for. And, and you and I have to know, if we don't raise again, if there is no such thing as eternal life where you and I are physically dwelling with God, then Jesus wasn't raised from the dead himself because God's words points to it and his claims are false. So in verse 12 through 15 and in verse 16 through 19, Paul says, let me tell you these two statements. He says, first of all, if Christ wasn't raised then the message of the church is death. That's the message of the church. If, if Christ wasn't raised and you and I aren't raised from the dead, we're not living for him. If you and I can live in this kind of watered down, kind of flipping around kind of faith, then the whole message of the church of Christ is death. And then in verse 16 through uh, 19, he says, if Christ wasn't really raised from the dead, then all of life is hopeless. So the church, their message is death, and life for everyone else is hopeless. In other words, what he's saying is, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then you are living your life about to step over a cliff, and it's over. And your trust in the knot, you're doing all your safety prep, all of the things that you did to get ready to be a good student, they're going to have no power when you step over that cliff. And so he says in verse 19, that's why we're to be pitied because the church is bought in hook, line, and sinker. But what we know as Paul started off the chapter, what's most important that anyone knows is that Jesus Christ really lived, he really died, and he really rose again. And he said, here are the witnesses church that the question of jesus christ being alive was hard to put in doubt even to soften it because not only were there so many witnesses that this this book this letter from paul to the corinthian church was within 30 years of the crucifixion that means within 30 years y'all this is incredible 30 years ago was 1990 now if any of you i won't pretend to know who is over 30 in the room today but if any of you are over 30 and you were saying, oh, I was there in 1990, that was when the car was invented. <laughs> There's enough people here to say, I'm calling no truth, right? And you could say, oh, y'all, you know, when, when I remember 1990, yeah, I don't know, that was an incredible year. That was the year that Netflix became like so popular. It's not true. There are enough people in the area to say that pastor is a liar. Amen? 
So, so the reality that Paul goes in, he says, listen, there's some people that are saying Christ only resurrected in the Spirit. It's easy to call them out. But if you're wondering, if you're living life today for a real future, then you only have to look towards the resurrection. Because if we don't rise again, then Christ didn't really rise again, and we know he did. But he says, if he didn't, let's walk through that. And he brings us through this incredible story. Verse 12 through verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Read your Bible with me. The Bible says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed to have been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. The word vain means this. Paul says, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if we're not raised, then he wasn't raised. And if he wasn't raised, then our faith is in vain. And the word vain means an open hand. It means empty. It means that you and I have bought into a snake oil salesman's lie. It, it, it means if, if there is no resurrection, if you and I are just trying to make the world a better place to go to hell from, then we have bought into a lie. The faith we trust in has no power. It's a placebo. I started to think of the story of the emperor's new clothes, right? The emperor's new clothes, the whole story as it goes, is the emperor was sold clothes that weren't clothes. And everybody imagined they pretend along with him. And in this pretending, in this imagination, it was easy to see that this king was deceiving himself. Church, if Jesus Christ didn't raise, and if we aren't living for a real eternity in him, then we are walking around like an emperor begging the world to pretend that we are dressed. But here's the amazing thing. When we look at Scripture, when we look at the faith that we preach, we don't look back to our faith, but we look to Christ. If you look in your Bible, and I'll, I'll cheat a little bit, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 through 30, Jesus is, is just finishing up one of the most incredible uh, passages of Scripture. He's been preaching this Sermon on the Mount to anyone and everyone that will listen. He's been talking to, to Pharisees about, about judging others. He's been telling people to lay up treasures in heaven. He's been going through this story of, of asking and giving. And in the midst of this long dissertation, this long teaching and preaching, verse 28 records this. And when Jesus finished these saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as someone who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, all of these people who were just listening to Jesus, trying to figure out who he was, understanding his message, just receiving it. Here's the conclusion they came to. He is not one of us. He's not just a religious leader trying to stack on things that we have to do in order to please God. He's not just telling us we need to be afraid of God. He's not just reciting scripture, but he's teaching as if he spoke it into existence itself. Church, the reality of the power of the name of Jesus is written not only all throughout scripture, but through the stories of history. Jesus and our faith is not based on the teachings of a snake oil salesman. 
The reality is that when Jesus spoke, he spoke as the author, not as the one who simply articulates or recites the author's words. And because of that, we can have faith in the resurrection. That's why Paul says it happened just as the scripture says, just as the scripture said he rose again, just as the scripture said Jesus did this in order that scripture might be fulfilled. Church, what we know today is that because Jesus rose from the grave, that the teachings of Christ are not just good things, but they are eternal things that make life full today and full tomorrow. And Paul says in the second part of this kind of faith part of, of things in verse 15, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. I started to think about this. If, if you and I aren't living for a real eternity, if we aren't really raised, and if Christ wasn't really raised, this is the thing. Every preacher, every Bible study teacher, every Christian in conversation, everyone who's bought the t-shirt that has a Bible verse on it and wants other people to read it, every single one of us are lying about God, pretending that he doesn't care. I don't know if you've ever thought about the, the heaviness of that truth, but if we aren't raised again, then Christ wasn't raised again. And our testimony on Easter is that Christ has risen again. Then we're just impersonating representatives of the king. I was reading this week about the two um, fake Homeland Security officers who had infiltrated the Secret Service impersonating impersonating secret service people trying to work out deals they've gotten caught they're going to be prosecuted do you think that the judge is going to say man you guys were so witty that was awesome i mean i know you weren't real but you fooled me so have a nice day god bless you do you think that's how they're going to get off no, at the end of the day, they knew when their scheme failed, the, the judge was going to drop the hammer. Do you know in Scripture, when men and women impersonate the Lord, when prophecies, prophets speak on his behalf, and they are found to be liars, do you know what the Old Testament says to do to liars who impersonate the Lord's people? Stone them. Like, have nothing to do with them. Church, here's what you need to know. God does not want credit for the, the fascinating uh, imaginations of people. He will let you take credit for your own garbage. Thank you very much. If you and I are not resurrected again, then Christ wasn't resurrected. And all we have to look for at the end of the day is the wrath of an angry God. Church, that's not at all what we see in Scripture. If you look in your Bible at John chapter 8, verse 53 through 55, the Bible says this, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? You, who do you make yourself to be? Then Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, then my glory means nothing. It's my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. 
but you do not know him and I know him. If I were about to say that I do not know him, then I would be lying. But I do know him and keep his word. Do you know God did not smite him down in that moment? but the Lord approved of him. Do you remember when Christ was baptized and he stood up out of the water and all who see saw the dove ascend on him and the Lord says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter, James, and John are there and he is being glorified, transfigured before them? Do you remember the approval of God? Do you remember in the conversion of Paul when Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul begins to write over and over again about the reality that Jesus, out of anyone in all creation, has lived for the approval of his Father and the approval of the Almighty God was obviously on Jesus Christ. If that is true, and God raised him from the dead, what Paul says is this, then we can be certain that all who trust in the name and the faith of Jesus Christ will be raised to life with him. Church, there's no doubt. At the end of the day, our faith is not empty-handed because Jesus is alive. You aren't just living to make it through the work week. You aren't just living to make it through the day. You aren't just living to endure the season of life you are living for a real eternity. And one day, every person, every knee, every life will come to recognize the power of God and you will either rest in his approval or in his judgment. And Paul says, if Jesus is not alive, then you will rest in his judgment, but he is. And because he is, you don't have to fear eternity. You have to live for it. In verse 16 through 19, he pulls this message apart a little bit more. Verses 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Uh, excuse me, verse 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ was raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So what, what Paul says is if there is no resurrection of the dead for you, then there was not a resurrection for the dead for Christ. And although we know that there was, let's walk through this together. If God did not raise Christ, then there is no one to set you free from your sins. If God did not bring his son back to life, if he didn't prove his love for him, his approval for him, if he doesn't prove he is the perfect lamb of God to take away from the sins of our world, if he doesn't really bring him to life, and then we really don't live in eternity, then our faith, the, the word, I'm gonna butcher it a little bit, is matea. And it means without results. See what Paul says? is that salvation is a state of mind. That's all it is. Your faith has no fruit. Every addiction, every passion, every failure that you believe Christ can leave, relieve from your shoulders, if the resurrection isn't real, those things are still there. It's just like a bad Zoom screen where you Photoshopped it out so you can't see it in the picture. Church, 
Can you imagine the reality of such a mind trick? I grew up around that type of talk. My friends and family who repeated a phrase that I've heard all over, and maybe it's part of your story. It's denying the power of God and believing that power for freedom relies in self. Because when those I've loved struggled with addiction and they weren't ready to give it up, they didn't believe in the power of the Lord at that moment, I would hear, I can quit when I want to. I just don't want to. Have you ever felt that tug in your life? Have you ever been around someone that, that just pretends you can see them chained in their sin. You can see them oppressed by the burden. You know there's no freedom, but this pretending sits upon them and it says, I'm not a prisoner. I just don't want to be free. If Jesus Christ isn't raised and you and I aren't raised again, then we're not free. And so when you live and when you die, you think you are clipped into Christ and you think that there is nothing holding you back. If Christ isn't alive and you aren't alive, the moment you step over that cliff and the millions of pounds of sin that you have committed in your life are on you, there is no rope strong enough to hold. There's no lifeline to keep you safe. Paul says, do you understand what happens if we believe that the resurrection doesn't occur, but it did? And he would say this in, in John chapter 8. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 34 and verse 36. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the sons remain and if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Church, have you looked through the stories of Scripture before? Do you know what Christ did day in and day out? He set people free. Your sins are forgiven. Pick up your stuff and walk, he says to the lame man. Your sins are forgiven, he says to the woman caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. He offers healing power. He tells the tax collector, the hated politician, he tells Nicodemus, listen, follow me. Come after me. Church, the reality is, is that Jesus Christ, we see the evidence in his word and his life that creation cries out to be free. If Christ wasn't raised, if you aren't raised, then that longing to be free from the passions, the sin, the slavery of your life will never be answered. It will never be whole. But Paul says, but God, through Jesus Christ, he set us free. Verse 18 and 19 lead us to the end. And they say it this way. Then those who have fallen asleep as in Christ have perished. And if Christ in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are most all, we are most of all people to be pitied. Church, I don't know if you hear what Paul says here, 
But he says this, if Christ isn't raised, if we aren't raised, then the church should be pitied for putting itself through the ringer when it doesn't have to be. The church should be pitied for going into places where people are being uh, persecuted, where people are, are sacrificing their life just to say the name of Jesus. It's preparation for nothing. In fact, he says this. If, if the resurrection isn't real, that when people perish, that's the end of their story. The people you have lost, you will never see again. Those who have fallen asleep, they've perished. The word perished this Greek means they're unaccounted for. If there's no physical resurrection, then there's nothing. You see, Jesus had this conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher, he was a Pharisee. And as they're having this conversation, Jesus says to him his own words, a phrase that we have read hundreds of times. He says, let me tell you how it works. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only one, Jesus came in the flesh, that whosoever would latch onto him, would believe in him, would not be unaccounted for but have eternal life they would not just be lost they would not just be a memory they would not just be a thought but have eternal life because Jesus was raised from the dead when he perished when he really died he was not unaccounted for God raised him from the dead and we could count him and see him and testify to him and in the same way all who put their faith in Christ can be found and accounted for and known by name Paul says on the anchor of the gospel all of this stands that because he was real like you and I are real and that was undeniable to the people reading the letter and because he rose again but by the pleasure of his father for God so loved that you and I who put our faith in him will not be unaccounted for you will be found and known. And the disciples are having this conversation with Christ later on. And as scripture starts to record their conversation, they start to ask questions. What does it mean to be accounted for? How does this work? Jesus preparing for his death and resurrection says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, a real place, there are many rooms. I won't lie to you. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I wouldn't have said I go to prayer a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so you can be where I am. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to every person he would meet. Follow me. Put your faith in me. Jesus led us through death and in the resurrection leads us to life. This Easter morning, Jesus says to you and me, I am the way, my knot will hold. And because I am alive, look at my promises and know they are true. Because I am alive, look to what I said and know you can take it to the bank. Church, this morning, after you and I taste death, If you are anchored to Jesus Christ, then he will lead you to where he is. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to figure it out. You just have to lean into it and take one step after another. Would you pray with me? Father God, we praise you that we do not sit here on a Sunday morning just going through traditions stale thoughts and journal entries of men and women throughout time. But Father God, that we stand here today realizing that we serve a living Savior who really lived and really died and is really living today as our Lord and Savior. And he will really return for us and he is really calling us to latch into him and live our life to the fullest now and for the fullest life ahead. So Lord, if there are any in this room that have been struggling with the reality of what you have in store for them, Lord, make it clear today. Or that you so loved the world, your creation. That you didn't want any man or woman, boy or girl, to be unaccounted for. And so you made a way. And anyone who believed that Jesus Christ, dead and resurrected, was that way, then they would live in life today and for eternity. So, Father, if there are any in this room that need to link into that today, let the confession be simply, God, I believe you are the way and the truth and the life. And let me come to the Father through you. In Jesus' name.